Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views somewhere around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey Jonathan, how's it going? Going well. Uh, things have been busy this week. Got some big news this week, Amy. Yeah, we're, uh, uh, you know, always going thinking maybe it's going to be a slow news week, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't. We have our first candidate announced this week for the presidency of the SBC to follow up Dr. Floyd. Uh, J.D. Greer, pastor in your neck of the woods, has announced that he will be nominated by Jimmy Scroggins, a good friend of the pod here, and uh, Lifeway trustee, actually. So Jimmy Scroggins will nominate J.D. Greer to be SBC president uh, for the next year. Yeah, and these, uh, I mean, these are two really, really respected pastors within the SBC, and so uh, obviously these announcements of presidential nominations get attention anyway, but for it to be these two names, that just kind of elevated it e- even more in the news cycle, uh, and uh, I, I think it's it, it's very interesting, exciting, saw a lot of people talking about it yesterday, and of course, as you said, uh, J.D. Greer's in this area, and uh, he's also a graduate of Southeastern, so uh, that's something that I know a lot of people who are at Summit Church, so something that was talked about a lot around here, too. Yes, and we had a release that we dropped as well with some information about J.D. Greer at SBC this week, and uh, it, it included some stats. Now, J.D. and the Summit Church, he got there in 2002, uh, running just 350 people, and right now they're running around 10,000, have gone multi-site, uh, I believe, as well, uh, several campuses, and have launched several church plants as well. Yes, um, it's kind of all over the, the city, and then a lot of church plants, like you said, around in other places. I think there's one out in Denver, and isn't there one not far from uh, not far from you guys? In the, is it in Murfreesboro, I think? I think some has a church plant there as well, so... Lots of things that they have have done all across the United States and have sent tons of uh, folks to the international mission field as well. Uh, very active church. You know, in the last 10 years, as presidential nominations have gone in the SBC, people are always considering sort of the numbers, what types of contributions the churches have made uh, where the candidate is a pastor. And there's a a really developed list uh, of these contributions I've seen popping up in different places. Yes, and uh, J.D. Greer's church, they're, I think, up to $390,000 budgeted for this year to give to the cooperative program, which I believe would make them, if not the highest CP giver in North Carolina, one of the highest, and it's also there. would put them in probably the top 100. I think I looked at the top 500 yesterday in the SBC, and $390,000 would put them up around number 70 to 75, somewhere in that range, uh, based on the numbers that I had in front of me. Now, those obviously might have changed, but whenever you get to, you know, nearing that half a million mark, then that you really move up the, the rankings pretty quickly there. So uh, I would right. say top 100 in the SBC in CP giving, uh, the largest church sending for the IMB, 149 people they have sent through the IMB. Uh, 75% of those are located in the, that 1040 window we hear so much about. 
Yeah, pretty incredible. So very interesting announcement. Lots of chatter still today. So a lot of people are talking about this and I think probably will be in the coming weeks uh, and it'll remain to be seen. Will we see any any others? Some years we do, some years we don't. Um, but I think it will make for a, an interesting and exciting time in St. Louis. And not that I'm looking for a lot of people to jump in, but I, I would expect at least someone to run. I, I think regardless of the candidate, I think it's always good to at least have some choice or some competition uh, really not competition in this, but at least a choice where someone can say, well, I-, I would rather have this person or this person lead the SBC as president. I understand maybe running unopposed in those second terms. We've seen that. That's kind of standard, I believe. Uh, right. But at the same time, that first time, whenever we have an opening, I-, I have I see no problem with anyone else you know, throwing their hat in the ring, so to speak. Oh, no, it just uh, helped. It honestly helps spark discussion. And the president is chosen by the messengers, and it... Uh, allows for a more informed body of messengers when yeah. we have things to consider. And, and we don't want it to where maybe it's looking like we are have this king-making succession or cigar-smoke-filled rooms in the back. We don't, we don't want that perception, so we, we would like to have competition that, that helps eliminate that conspiracy theory that sometimes gets thrown out there. Yes, so moving on to uh, the CP. We, we are always wow. tracking. how how about this number? Yeah, this is crazy. We've seen some We're big always... numbers this week. Jim JD's, yes. all the numbers there, then the number from the CP. Give us the number, Amy. Drum roll. 7.19% ahead of the year-to-date budgeted projection. Yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy sauce. Yeah, right and and 1.46% above the contributions received last year at the same time. So uh, this news release came out uh, Wednesday. I, I honestly, I mean, I'm used to these news releases. They pop out, you know, every month that, and it, it typically is saying the word ahead, but it's usually saying like 2% ahead or, you know, something like that. 7.19%. That's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, it was already 1.26 ahead of last year through the first quarter. Uh, we talked about that, you know, the previous month. But last month at this time, when we talked about it on the the show last month, the CP was 6.07 ahead of budget then. So we we've picked up an extra percent. We were already up at, you know, at the end of the first quarter, 1.29 above where we were the previous year. Uh, but right. now we're at 7.19% this month. So we're gaining on our budget. It just goes to show that, you know, churches are upping their CP giving. And, and through this, that means more money to the mission fields, more money to our seminaries and, and the like. Uh, and and it, it's demonstrating, too, we've had so much conversation about the cooperative program in the last couple of years. So this really gives us something to track and to quantify what's happening with those discussions. And I hope this just continues to go up. Yeah, and you know that's something Frank Page from day one, whenever he got to the SBC as he as the president of the executive committee, he has made it his goal really to increase CP giving, increase the importance, the awareness of the cooperative program throughout the states, throughout churches, and, and we're seeing that play out now. We've also the Great Commission resurgence, all the things that have gone on with that has also elevated its its awareness and elevated giving, uh, elevated the splits at the states as well. Uh, so, you know, it's it's one of these things where we can look at the cooperative program and, and say that it is, you know, a couple of years ago, people would have probably said, you know, the cooperative program's on the way out, but we're seeing it stronger than it has been in the past couple of years and uh, just growing in its importance, growing in its awareness and growing in its giving. Moving on now, Tammy, to some other news. Uh, we've talked about this a lot over the past few weeks. The Supreme Court, uh, the death of Justice Antonin Scalia means a 4-4 split, basically. 
in most cases, and we have a case that is uh, coming up from Texas on the abortion regulations that looks like it's going to be uh, headed for this 4-4 split. Yes, so this is uh, this was regarding a Texas law that regulates uh, abortion doctors and clinics. So it's a it, it's a state law that would require an abortion doctor to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital in case a woman needs you know emergency care, and it mandates clinics to meet the health and safety standards of other walk-in centers. Um, I, as a side note, I, I'm honestly amazed that this is even a question. Uh, for any other medical procedure, this would not be a question uh, if it wasn't this sort of cultural issue and, and put all these other things in play, but it is. So the oral arguments were on Wednesday, March 2nd, and it, it will be a while before we hear a ruling, uh, before we, we get this. It'll be the summer, but it's always interesting when oral arguments are happening because you can track where the justices are headed in their thinking and the questions that they ask. And so questions from sort of the usual that we would expect, uh, Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, they all led in a, a direction that were skeptical of, of the law. Um, and then Roberts and Alito seemed more doubtful of the arguments by the other side. They, they kind of were, were skeptics of the other side that was challenging the law. And as usual, Anthony Kennedy, um, it, he's the swing vote. And so everyone's always watching what he's asking. Uh, and it, it indicated that he even had some uncertainty about overruling, about turn, overturning this law. Uh, my favorite sentence in this piece yeah, by I love this. Baptist Press, which is kind of funny this week, actually. It said, exactly. as usual, Associate Justice Clarence Thomas did not ask any questions. But I would like to point out that this week he asked his first question in 10 years. So, as usual, is technically still correct, but there was a little bit of a change this week. Uh, so that was, was big news, probably one of my favorite major news items of the week. Um, but... You know, th this comes down to you follow the questions in arguments. It looks like you're looking at a four, three, probably. And then what's what is Anthony Kennedy thinking? And it, no one knows. Um, but it's a possibility that it's a four, four split. If they uh, if they divide in that way, then this is where we talked a few weeks ago. Uh, if it's four, four, then it upholds the lower court's. Uh, the lower court's ruling. So the state law would remain in effect, but it doesn't have any kind of precedent. It doesn't go to the, the rest of the country. So the question is, is that law an undue burden on a woman that seeks an abortion? Um, and I, as I said, I think that's really an incredible question to even ask because we're talking about medical standards. And in any other situation medical standards are totally understandable yeah. so even uh, if you I were pro-abortion in this case yeah. you know for you know, pro-choice for abortion it seems like you would want the abortion clinic to be held to medical standards that are like normal yeah and and it, it really brings back those uh those discussions from long ago where it used to be and it's not even part of the democratic party platform anymore but it used to be stated even by those who supported um, the right to have an abortion, to choose an abortion, uh, people said safe, legal, and rare. 
And uh, we, we started to see, you know, legal they keep holding on to. Yeah. We started the other to see two are folks, going away. Yeah, we started to see folks moving away from the rare uh, term. But, man, you would think everyone would want safe. Um, you would think everyone, but this has become such a battle that people are even willing to give on that, uh, which kind of blows my mind. But that's of interest to us, certainly because we care about these issues, but also uh, some of our agencies, the ERLC, the uh, Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, the Christian Life Commission of the Missouri Baptist Convention, all of them uh, were joining friend of the court briefs. Uh, that supported supported this law. So that that was something that was very much of interest to us. And it's good to know that our uh, agencies are continuing to weigh in on this and support these things and assist the efforts. Speaking of the ERLC, Dr. Moore was down in Alabama this week speaking at the Church and Sexuality Conference uh, hosted at First Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. It was put on by the Alabama Baptists. And uh, this is kind of a neat little conference here that the Alabama Baptist put on. We don't. We see a lot of things coming out of the state conventions. Uh, not too many focus on these type of issues. You know, they're more practical ministry. But kudos to the Alabama Baptist State Board of Missions for putting on this uh, to, to really educate their pastors and church members alike on these issues of sexuality and, and the things that we're talking about pretty much every week here on SBC this week. That shows how important that is in culture. There seems to be. Uh, a new story or a new event or something going on every week in this arena. And the Alabama Baptist put on a conference this past week, and there's actually a link to all the audio and video recordings from the conference over at SBC This Week. You can find that uh, at sbcthisweek.com. Yeah, it, it it seems like for years we we were having to talk in terms of culture war, and now we're really having to talk in terms of how do we minister in a, a, a really new context. Um, this just changes how we reach our neighbors, the, the reality of some um, of what we face. And so it, it's good to see things like this, maintaining biblical truth, but also, as it said, um, uh, but also as in Timothy George's keynote address, it was titled The Biblical Truth About Sexuality in a Morally Relative Age. So holding up biblical truth, but understanding the age that we are in and saying, how do we do this? How do we go and proclaim in this culture now? Speaking of culture, we have some new research from Lifeway Research this week about a, a, another hot topic in culture right now, and that's refugees in the church and, and our response in culture and in uh, politics as well to the Syrian refugee crisis. Uh, some new research here. Amy, walk us through this. Uh, this was a survey. It was sponsored by World Relief and World Vision, and it was asking the question to Protestant senior pastors. So it was a telephone survey of 1,000 Protestant senior pastors really asking how churches are viewing the refugee situation. Um, very interesting. One of the, the sort of top question that, that's put in the a lot of the releases, the question uh do you agree my church has a sense of fear about global refugees coming to the United States? Uh, it was, that's really split down the middle. Yeah. 50% disagreed, but 44% agreed and 6% said not sure, uh, which to me that just says it's split down the middle. And I, um, Amy, I think the reason for this split and, and kind of the, you know, the coin flip basically that we're looking at here is because of the next question that they asked, 
which was yeah. which of the following best describes what your church has decided about getting involved in caring for refugees? About seven in ten pastors have not discussed anything about it at all have in the not, church. Yep, have not discussed it at all. Seventy-two percent not discussed anything about locally getting involved in caring for refugees, and sixty-three percent internationally. You know, so either issue, whether it's helping uh, situations overseas or helping people in their area huge amount of people have not even talked about it. So in some ways, if you, it, you know, like you just said, if they, if they do have a sense of fear, it's because they're not, they're not discussing yeah, it. They're, they're not, not informed on the subject. Think about it. An uninformed congregation is usually a fearful congregation when it comes to cultural issues like this. It, it might be one of these things, well, if pastors addressed it more and, and have had resources and the ERLC is providing these resources to pastors right. and churches. Uh, so it's, it's one of these things where, Maybe if we educated our people a little bit more, our fear levels would drop down. In most cases, that is the case. Right. Now, here was the interesting one I thought was it said almost all the pastors, 98% believe they are at least somewhat informed about the Syrian refugee crisis. And so what, what you saw was that almost all of these pastors feel like they have a knowledge of it, but... In most cases, they have not passed that on to their people. I think that's very telling, and that that's that should be kind of a check to us um, about what we are raising uh, to the level of discussion. And, and that kind of goes to the next question that was asked, and it's: Do Christians have a responsibility to care f- sacrificially for refugees and foreigners? And eighty-six percent of them agreed. So they're informed on it. They know we should care, but that that next level of passing it on seems to to be a disconnect right there. Right. And and I understand we have a lot of things we are talking about uh, in our churches. And, and it's and not I'm a cut sh- and dry issue as well. Right. It's not a cut and dry issue. And then I know that plates are full uh, as, as people are being discipled and thinking about what to talk about. Uh, and sometimes in all the other things that seem to be very urgent discussions, things like this can be sort of forgotten. Uh, but at least from my vantage point, I see this as a, an urgent discussion. So uh, very, very interesting research, and uh, we will share that. Yeah, you can find all the information at sbcthisweek.com in the show notes for today's episode. Amy, uh, before we get to the This Week in SBC history, I want to talk one thing about the presidential election. Just to remind the listeners about our uh, SBC president, his roles, his duties, kind of what goes into being SBC president. Uh, every president has his own ideas about you know things that I would like to do in my a year or two. Uh, I think Dr. Floyd came in, hit the ground running. He's done a fantastic job, by the way. I've been so pleased and so thrilled to see some of the stuff that has come out of uh, the Floyd presidency, if you will. Uh, but, Amy, I put this on the, the J.D. Greer release that we put up at SBC this week, uh, earlier this week, whenever the announcement came down. But uh, there are only really a couple of duties that the SBC president has per the bylaws. Now, a lot of times that is expanded by, you know, what they would like to do, what they would like to see happen in the convention. We understand that. But per the bylaws, there's only a couple of things that they really have to do. So walk us through those. Sort of the two most important things that they do, we often don't even talk about in, in the discussions of nominations, is the number one thing they do is appoint the committees. Uh, they appoint the committee on committees, uh, which then appoints the nominating committee, which then appoints all of our trustees. Most people who are familiar with the conservative resurgence 
remember this, that that was a part of the whole strategy for uh, the, the presidential elections during that time. Uh, but that's th- really the major, major responsibility. And it actually, it takes a lot of work uh, to just sort of find all of those people. There are stipulations on who can serve depending on how long they've been in their state, things like that. That's one thing. The second thing is to moderate the annual meeting, which is a lot harder than it may even look. You know, it's it, you got a thousands and thousands of people. You've got a very specific procedure, has a lot of rules, and, and you have assistance and help to, to get through that. But still, it takes skill to be able to do that. So those are two major things. And then the other thing that happens is that person really serves as a representative of the messengers throughout the year. Uh, and that can take on several forms. They're uh, ex officio members of different boards, which means they don't have a vote, but they do go to things and, and sit in on discussions. Uh, but then also externally, they end up being sort of the face of the Southern Baptist Convention, representing sometimes in the news media, but also meeting with a lot of government leaders, uh, sitting in the Oval Office, regardless of the the party or the affiliation you know, of the person because they're going to speak for us in many capacities. Yes, yeah, so that's the the part that most of us see. A right. lot of us a lot of us don't see how the uh, how the sausage gets made, you know, with the committees, so to speak. Right. Uh, but you know, there's four main uh, you mentioned the the committee on committees. That's the big appointment right. that the president the makes. He one. also appoints the credentials committee. Yes. He also appoints the credentials committee and the yes. resolutions committee. And the resolutions yes. committee is they meet and, and kind of finalize the language on resolutions. We, we see that every right. year. So and the other thing is that he appoints the parliamentarian, Barry McCarty, our good friend, uh, been there. This will be his 30th anniversary as parliamentarian at the That's annual correct. meeting. Uh, so we've got a great interview coming up with him on Good Friday. Don't want to miss that one later this month uh, on Good Friday. I'm just going to give basically Barry the, the whole episode where unless there's some major breaking news. We'll just uh, give Barry that that whole episode and let him tell about uh, what he does and and how he got involved and everything. So that'll be kind of neat. But uh, those yeah. are the big four things. I mean, those those are big deals because you, you mentioned that the conservative resurgence. We know about how that all happened, and it takes appointing committee on committees people every year for about a decade to get things worked out. And so it takes a while on that, but. Uh, the big role that the president plays is appointments of committees and then that, that public-facing role that he plays as well. So, you know, those right. are things to consider when voting for SBC president. And uh, we, will, we will keep an eye on any other announcements that may be coming from any other areas in the SBC life uh, of other candidates. So uh, we have one candidate yeah, right and, now. And also and also other officers. We yes. have oh, first yeah, that's vice true. president, second vice president, other other roles. And so. we are working to get an interview with JD uh, next week. I'm I'm going to be in the Raleigh area next week. So I'm t- in talks with his people now that this is public to uh, try to go over there and get a sit down with JD and uh, and get his thoughts on why, you know, why does he want to be president? What, you know, what's his goals for being president and, and kind of the SBC as well. So we'll uh, hopefully get that for you and have that for you next week on SBC this week. But this week, before we go, we still have a couple of items of business. And uh, one of those is my favorite part of the week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. 
Yeah, so we're going to go back to 1971 to a uh, seminar sponsored by the Southern Baptist Christian Life Commission. You know, we talk a lot about events that are hosted by the ERLC. Uh, We get to attend some of them dealing with sort of cultural issues. And maybe in some ways to our generation, that seems like sort of a new, new thing. But it's it's not completely new. They that group, the Christian Life Commission, was kind of the precursor to the ERLC. They've put on some events before in the past. So I found one that just kind of fascinated me. It was called um, National Priorities and Christian Responsibility, and uh, I found it first in the release, sort of announcing that it was going to happen. It was a uh, it was in um, the it was at the Commodore. Hotel in New York, March 1st through 3rd uh, in 1971. That sounds like a swanky place. The Commodore Hotel. It does. It does. I've never been there. Lionel Uh, Richie had his own suite there, I'm sure. Yes, it sounds like it. Um, So the headliners that they were advertising were uh, the mayor, the, the current mayor of New York at that time, John Lindsay. And then, very interesting, the Housing and Urban Development Department Secretary, George Romney at the time. That would be Mitt's dad. Yes. Wow. be dad. This is what just was interesting to me to, to read. It, it then had the next paragraph. It said, other speakers will include and listed several people. The first one just said a United Nations official just listed that way down the list. It lists who the, the United Nations official was, which was George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, and in 1971, he wasn't a huge name. Uh, but he was on the program to speak. Some other ones uh, who were, were on there as well was a, a director for the Peace Corps, um, the current president of, uh, or the president at that time of Wake Forest University, uh, was a, a guy who was an assistant to uh, Ralph Nader. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Man, you got all uh, kind of political party stuff going on here. I know. And so the goal for that uh, conference was to seek God's guidance in understanding what America's national priorities ought to be. Uh, So it had about uh, 400 spaces uh, for any Southern Baptist who would like to participate um, with, it said, a a registration fee of uh, $20. So really, uh, really interesting. And so I have a, a, a story on February 11th that, announced it and then in um on march the 4th they released a story telling a little bit more kind of about what they what they said uh the the mayor of new york said too often washington has chosen profits over people um they talked about racial reconciliation um lots of different things and and then romney of course is there representing the current administration which was president richard nixon wow um yeah, so he talked about the national priorities of President Nixon. So it's just so interesting to read these things as they are primary sources in a time where we can look and say, well, we know what happened a few years later. Uh, but at the time, you know, it, it, it was a, it was different. Um, and then this was also Bush's first public address after being installed as the ambassador to the United Nations. Um, and, and so it... Very, very interesting. So I'm going to throw those links in there just, just to see uh, that that Southern Baptists were having those types of conversations back then. Well, that's fascinating. Uh, it's funny that it's this little footnote in the story, a U.N. ambassador, and it turns out to be, you know, Bush 41. 
So yeah, but at the at the time, nobody really knew who he was. So anyway, very interesting conference, and it all happened this week in SBC history. Well, that's that's so cool. Um, that's really neat. So thanks for sharing that, Amy. It's funny what you dig up when you start going back and looking at these things. Uh, just some of the things that were big in the SBC decades and decades yeah. ago. Yeah, really, really crazy. Maybe so. in maybe in thirty or forty years, somebody will be looking back at this podcast and yeah, those people they were talking about, whatever. Perhaps. Or or, or maybe not. <laughs> All right, so that brings us to resources of the week. My resource of the week is a webinar that uh, we're, we have right now with Dr. Rayner. We've been putting out uh, this week. It also runs next week, so you can still check it out. Still plenty of time to check that out. Three Secrets to Reaching Church Guests. And we talk about uh, the front door, the back door, and the side door of the church. Those are the, the three secrets. But how to use those three, quote-unquote, doors of the church uh, to reach guests, re- retain guests better. So uh, check that out. Free webinar, 30 minutes. It'll give you some good ideas, I think, for Easter. That uh, was kind of the reason we did it now. Uh, give you time to maybe implement some of these before Easter hits and uh, you have your big day of the year. So uh, three secrets to reaching church guests webinar with Tom Rayner. Amy, your resource of the week is? Uh, mine is Bible Study Magazine. Uh, it's a, a, a print magazine. It has... Um, Mainly it focuses on tools and methods for Bible study, but it's been one that I've seen a few times uh, through the last year and has just uh, kind of caught on. And they've got had some great cover stories. Uh, Mark Dever, J.D. Greer, Beth Moore. I think I want to say Trevin Wax had a cover story not not too long ago. He's kind of a big um, deal. Yeah, kind of. Um, and uh, And so it's got a lot of insights on... Uh, exactly how to study the Bible. So very, very good magazine, and uh, just wanted to throw that out there. It's been a help to me. All right. Well, that sounds good. I have to check that out. And uh, next week, big week, I'll be in Wake Forest for about 24 yes, hours. Yes, you will. Yes, yeah. you will. It is Lifeway Week at Southeastern Seminary. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to uh, the cannoli that Jamie Dew has prom- promised me. Oh, I, and I didn't get one of those. I saw that picture on Twitter, and wow. I sent a text to my husband, who was in that meeting, and uh, said, cannolis, but I think he was busy, and he didn't didn't see that, or maybe they ate them all. I, there would not have been any left if I was in that meeting, so those things looked amazing. I'll have to link to that, uh, to that picture, so uh, what an amazing, amazing plate of cannoli that was we um, we are getting we're we're getting some good good food up here in wake forest these where, days where was so. that from actually i'm not sure there are two or three places in town now where you can get cannolis and uh i'm not sure if that was not sure which place there's a, a deli where you can get them and a couple other spots so i will have to find out i'll have to ask kim humphrey all right and this week's podcast has been sponsored by southeastern seminary's new 81 hour mdiv program the 81 hour mdiv is specifically designed to better equip students to take the gospel to their neighbors and the nations for more information on the new 81 hour mdiv at southeastern seminary visit sebts.edu slash mdiv go over to itunes give us a rating and review over there we'll see you next week on spc this week see you next week